What time is it? Game time! Watford for the win! Yes! Yes! Gives it to Jenkins for the championship! Davis! Oh my god! Davis is going to run it all the way back! Auburn's going to win the football game! Ladies and gentlemen, Merry Christmas to you, or Merry Belated Christmas to you, depending on when you're watching or listening to this show, rather. Uh, welcome to another episode of Game Time. I'm your host, Garrison Hardy, and with me, as always, the one, the only, Garrett Thigpen. Garrett, how you doing, brother? I am doing so well. Christmas coming up in just a couple days. Hmm. Um Got the best part of college football season coming up. That's right. New Year's six on the horizon, playoff games. And uh I'm excited. Yeah, it's a good time. It is a really good time. You you and your family got any fun plans? Uh I think we're gonna all get together with some friends. Uh got a big group to play pickleball this Ooh. weekend. Pretty exciting. Uh I play about twice a year, but this is one of those two times. So um that yeah, should be a good time. And then, of course, you know, getting up on Christmas morning, opening presents, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the uh, church service the night before, Christmas Eve right. service, um, the standard stuff. Tis the reason for the season. What are uh, What's the transfer portal looking like for pickleball? No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sounds, sounds pretty similar on my end, you know. Uh, finishing up i've still got some stocking stuffers to go out and grab just a little stuff and then yeah, uh, yeah. christmas eve service uh, you've got church in the morning but then the regular christmas eve service as well that'll be fun and our whole church you know we got we got a very large church with numerous uh, plants around town and we're all going to be coming together for one big service so it should be kind of a madhouse but nice. it's, it's kind of fun at that point you know yeah it'll be fun um yeah. and then yeah i'll just be spending the night with my folks down in uh, lewiston and then christmas morning wake up coffee breakfast presents it'll be a good time so that's uh that's kind of that wraps awesome. that up yeah and uh okay but, but enough enough of this this is not why the folks clicked on this show we got college football to talk about here and before we get to uh, the games because that's obviously one of the bigger reasons of you know watching and listening to our show we got to talk about some news here and we've talked about this a couple of times Garrett but the Pac-12 has finally come to a resolution here Oregon State and Washington State have settled with the departing Pac-12 schools. This here is according to ESPN. Um, Basically, they've come to an agreement in principle with the 10 departing schools. The agreement comes in the wake of the Washington State Supreme Court's decision last week to not review a lower court decision that granted control of the Pac-12 Board of Directors to Oregon State and Washington State. As part of the agreement, the 10 departing schools, that is, will forfeit an undisclosed portion of revenue distributions over the rest of the 23-24 school year and have provided, quote, specific guarantees against potential future liabilities, end quote. And uh, obviously, Oregon State and Washington State were thrilled about this, and they were talking about uh, the determination and strength of Beaver Nation and Cougar Nation. Uh, So very exciting time for Washington State and Oregon State. And sounds like financially, they're going to at least be better set up for the future And then the goal for the Pac-12, because it's only going to be kept afloat for a couple of years, 
is to recruit other schools to join them. And from everything I'm reading, the Mountain West schools are an obvious choice, and there could be some sort right. of merger deal there in the coming years. And they're already scheduled, you know, six games with them next each next year. So uh, it looks like Mountain West Pac-12 merger actually could still be on the table. Yeah, a little, a little bright spot for uh, what's been a rough year for those two teams. But yeah, that's what, um, like you said, that's what it seems like. Um, most likely options, maybe recruiting the Mountain West and merging together so they can keep the conference afloat, keep keep the Pac-12 existing. Uh, I think that's what most people would like to see. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, a little bit, you know, different teams, but people would like to see the Pac-12 still exist. So I think if they can do that, that's probably... That's probably their best bet, in my right. opinion. So that's that's what I'm hoping for. Indeed. And basically, according to the NCAA rules, at least seven active Division One members, all of which must sponsor men's and women's basketball for the conference to sponsor at least 12 Division One sports, among other requirements. In the case of departures, the bylaws allow a conference a two-year grace period in which it can exist without the minimum number of schools. So even though this is a win for the Pac-12, the clock is ticking. And it sounds like with these funds that they will be getting from the 10 departing schools, that'll allow them that grace period to then go out and get those schools, potentially buy off the Mountain West fees, the exit fees that they're going to be running into. So uh, big big moment here for Oregon State, Washington State. And we're just going to have to see how, I mean, the college landscape, Garrett, is just changing like crazy. So it's going to be interesting to see how in the coming years, Oregon state and Washington state, the what's left of the pac 12 are able to build going forward. Uh, but maybe, maybe they, they can call the ACC because it sounds like the ACC is in trouble with this next bit of news as Florida state is seeking to leave the ACC amid the college football playoff snub. And they're also suing the ACC challenging the $572 million penalty for leaving the ACC early. And this ties into all the TV contracts and stuff like that. I mean, Garrett, geez, some some rocky waters over in ACC country. Yeah, um, that news came out today that, uh, yeah, Florida State was basically officially saying, we've, uh, we've done what we can, it's not going to happen, and we're out of here. Mm-hmm. And... Yeah, I don't know how it's going to go because, like you said, um, that penalties—the number I've seen—is 572 million, and that's a lot of money. Yeah, and I don't know how they're going to come up with that. I've seen, I've seen rumors they're going to get Saudi money in there. They're going to have to finance it somehow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't. Sounds like the Premier League just, all of a sudden. Exactly. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know if we'll have to see how it plays out in court. Um, but it just seems like such a tall task for them to, to pay this off and to actually be able to leave. Cause, um, from the numbers I've read Florida States, they don't have the, the money that some of these bigger schools have. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's less than you would think. I think a lot of people think of Florida state, their traditional powerhouse. They, they'd have plenty of money to do whatever they want. Um, but I don't think that's the case. I think this makes up a pretty good portion of their endowment and it's, it's going to be tough for them to pay that off. So, um, yeah, I mean, at this point we'll just have to see how it plays out in court to actually see right. 
if this is even possible, but they're they're you know they weren't shy about their intentions. So right. Um. Yeah. They they I think one of their biggest they they put out a whole almost manifesto. I haven't had a chance to read all of it, but I saw a bit. One of their points was that they were very upset with the way that the ACC took on teams like uh, SMU. Um, bringing all these schools in that were not Cal, five Stanford. And, well, yeah, just teams that didn't have the pedigree that they thought that they should have. Right. Um, so, and then obviously, uh, the situation with the playoffs isn't helping their fans. They're, they're pretty upset. They, they're, they're blaming a lot of it on the ACC. Um, and I think, I think it's a bit unfair and, you know, I, I think the fans are just upset and they're, they're just pushing for whatever they can to uh, to get out and get into a bigger conference. But right. um, I don't know. I mean, probably, obviously, with the way that things are changing, it probably is a smart idea if you can get into one of the bigger school, the bigger conferences. Um, you know, if you think the ACC is a sinking ship, maybe obviously you'd want to get out. But um yeah, it's just it's gonna be tough to do. Five hundred seventy-two million dollars is a lot of money, and I just don't know, I just don't know if they're gonna be able to do it. But yeah, we'll just we'll just have to see. Time will tell. Yeah, uh, for those at home, it was a twenty-year agreement uh, that was signed and that Florida State signed into. So that runs through twenty thirty-five and twenty thirty-six, the academic year. And Dellinger noted Florida State may have to pay that estimated five hundred million on top of one hundred twenty million dollars. In uh, if it did want to leave the deal in place or uh, leave that deal rather, so in by in in hindsight that deal seems a little bit a uh, little bit out of date after the Big Ten and SEC signing much more lucrative media rights contracts and whatnot. So kind of a tough spot, and it, apparently Florida State is not alone in exploring though the potential exit as. Schools like North Carolina, Virginia, uh, there's there was a couple other teams listed here, but uh, some of those other schools in the ACC were also kind of ex- just a, at least exploring leaving the conference. So the ACC is certainly looking a little unstable at the moment. But yeah, it, it, I could see Florida State's frustration. Not only are they being snubbed in the playoff, but now they're stuck in this conference they consider to be beneath them, especially for the kind of season that they had. And looking at the rest of the conference, I mean, I, I understand some of that frustration, even though I would like to point out they almost lost a couple of close games in, in that conference, but I digress. Just it, it does, looking at the direction of the SEC and looking at the direction of the Big Ten, yeah, it seems like the ACC is kind of in a tier two conference, all things considered. Although basketball wise, they're probably the the premier conference when it comes to basketball. Uh, yeah, although yeah, I know your feelings on the Big Ten basketball, Garrett, but you know, uh, Big Ten could make a challenge there potentially. SEC's had some good years too, but ACC yeah. screams br- blue been, buds for basketball. They do, they do. They've been in a bit of a rut lately in basketball, but right. Uh, it's just uh, a short period. They'll be back. That's right. That's right. So shaky times in the ACC and a lot of money being thrown around, a lot of lawsuit stuff. It's um, it 
remains to be seen how that will play out as well. And I feel bad for the schools that just joined because now they're suddenly like, oh, <laughs> well, uh, maybe we should keep our eyes open on other conferences <laughs> yeah. as well. So this yeah. is just the new landscape of college sports. And yeah, no, go ahead. Um, I was, yeah, I was just going to touch what you were saying about, you know, ACC. Um, it's just like you said, it's just basically about the money and the contract that they signed. It's that screwed them. Um, you know, Florida state, they're seeing, they think that obviously not just their with, uh, their performance on the field or the performance of the ACC, but I mean, essentially they're just looking at the contracts that the other two conferences got. And they think we could make so much more money and we could easily get in these conferences and, it, it why are we going to sit here and take so much less and uh you know they mentioned in their statement um that they've been able to deal with it up until now through fundraising but the cost is getting so much uh it's 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 growing significantly ever since they originally signed the contracts that it's becoming unsustainable and they need better they're saying that they basically they've exhausted all their options they need a this better TV deal to bring in more money and fund what in order to, you know, do what they need to do in football. So, um, you know, their, their stance is that they've exalted, they've basically done everything they can. Their backs are against the wall and this is what they have to do. So, right. Um, yeah, we'll see. I don't know, you know, obviously they're going to say that regardless, but, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I think, um, I don't know the details of the contracts. If there's any kind of, you know, the ACC has been trying to negotiate with them and offer them things like, uh, you know, performance incentives and um, maybe splits, you know, changing up the revenue structure to where a team that is bringing in more money can earn more. Mm -hmm. uh, but they've they've been in their statement. They said they were done negotiating, basically. And they, this is the last straw. If they don't find a way to get out of it, I don't know what that means. I don't know if they're going to go on strike or something. I don't know, but. <laughs> Uh, it'll be interesting to see if uh, if they get out, and then I guess you got to find out a new conference to go to. Uh, SEC makes the most sense right. logistically, but uh, yeah, it'll uh, we'll see. Yeah, and then that just kind of bodes poorly for the conference as a whole. I mean, you got programs like Clemson, which yeah, Clemson had a down year this year, but they're still about to drop nine wins on the season if they win their bowl game. And their recruiting class next year looks legit. So I think Clemson is still going to very much be in that conversation. They're probably keeping an eye on this situation as well as a championship caliber program going forward, thinking Big Ten, SEC, what are we looking at here? And, you know, that, that this is just the new landscape of college football in general. The U, you know, that's another brand at the very least. They haven't been mm -hmm. as impressive lately, but that's – that North Carolina Duke with basketball, there's a lot of stuff up for grabs here. And that, you know, we could be looking at another pac 12 2.0 situation here. If the ACC is not careful and not proactive in going out and making these big deals happen, which it seems like that's what Florida state is angry about in the first place. So Seminoles just not happy campers at this point in time. Hey, how about this coaching carousel? Let's check in on the movement around college football. And we've got some good movement here. In I, Garrett, I, you texted me about this, and I called it. 
but USC is finalizing a deal to hire the UCLA defensive coordinator, D. Anton Lynn. I think that's how you pronounce that. This is according to ESPN. UCLA finished number 11 in total defense his first year there. And he came from the Baltimore Ravens. I think he was their secondary coach. And he's hoping, and, and they were number 89 the year before his arrival. So a pretty impressive jump for Lynn in his first year at UCLA. And he's just switching jerseys and going over to USC after they fired Alex Grinch in November after they allowed 101 total points in two games. So, uh, yay or nay, Garrett, good hire? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we, yeah, we, we talked about it. We joked about, you know, if the, you get the best of both worlds, UCLA had a great defense this year, uh, USC, obviously a great offense and defense was their, their, you know, one of the worst in the country defensively. So if they could, uh, yeah, just, uh, have the kind of defense UCLA has, they'd be set. They'd be an elite team. They might be in the playoffs right now. So yeah, I think that's a, a smart hire for them for sure. And like you said, doesn't have to move far. That's right. Up North, we got Boise state. They promoted and John root talked about this actually on our show with him last week. Uh, they promoted interim coach Spencer Danielson. They named him the new head coach. Uh, he's only 35 years old, and he's running a, a pretty sizable program in the Boise area. Uh, former defensive coordinator for Boise State and turned around the program's fortunes after being promoted to interim on November 12th. Boise fired Andy Avalos on November 12th with the Broncos at 5-5 five and five and in danger of the program's first losing season since 1997. And he got him to a bowl game, Garrett. So uh, Spencer Danielson, that seems like a pretty good hire, given that he took over a potentially sinking ship midseason. Yeah, I'm all for giving those guys a chance. Uh, the interims who come in and kind of rally the locker room, I think that says a lot. So, um, yeah, I, I, I like the I like the move. Tulane, they had lost. Uh, they had lost their coach, Willie Fritz, who is on his way to Houston. And Houston is in the Big 12, so he's just really taken a step up as far as conference is concerned. But he's shown that he can turn programs around as Tulane was awful. And Fritz came in and turned in one of the best stretches in school history as the Green Wave reached a bowl game in five of the six past seasons and have gone 23-4 and four the past two years. Uh, the, Tulane is now bringing in Troy's John Summerall, who to become the new uh, head coach. That is so um, the good hire there, as the Trojans won back-to-back Sun Belt Conference titles the last two years at Troy. So Summerall brings in winning expertise as well. Uh, Notre Dame's offensive coordinator Gerard Parker is set to become the new coach at Troy. So there's the movement there. He's a veteran coach who served as Purdue's interim head coach and has been an assistant at places such as Penn State, West Virginia, Duke. So he apparently has a personality trait to the past two coaches that have had success at Troy, Neil Brown and John Summerall. He played his football at Kentucky and a lot of experience. Now, this this is a pretty interesting one right here, Garrett. Notre Dame in what might be the biggest news of the carousel season, has scooped up LSU's offensive coordinator, Mike Denbrock. That was according to 24-7 Sports. And, hey, LSU's offense, last I checked, was pretty darn good. 
They weren't bad. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, they were easily the best offense in the country. Um, so I think that's worth taking a shot on. You saw that Jaden Daniels, maybe the best statistical season we've seen in uh, a long, long time, if not ever. And mm-hmm. yeah, so and, and he's a, a you know a fourth, fifth year player who has not had this these kind of numbers anywhere he's been previously, including last year. So right. Um, you know, maybe maybe a lot of that's has to do with uh, the offensive coordinator, the play calling, and um, I guess that's that's what they've seen. They've seen that he can transform Jan Daniels, he can transform that LSU offense, what he did this year. So, um, yeah, and Notre Dame, they've you know the defense has been a strong point for them. So I think that it makes sense to look to make a move on the offensive end to improve there. Um, they're bringing in Riley Leonard. And I guess they see something there with Riley Leonard. Uh, They saw what he could do with Jane Daniels, his running ability. Um, Maybe they have similar plans for Riley Leonard next year. So we'll see how that pairing works out. Yes, we will. And like you said, Notre Dame, if they were able to figure things out offensively, there were just a couple of games where the offense really let them down and the defense, they were out there playing like warriors and doing everything they could to keep them in the ball game. But offense was just kind of an anchor for them at times drag and not in a good way dragging them down to the bottom of the ocean at times uh which was surprising given how they had an experienced quarterback under center so if uh if they're able to bring get a spark in on offense and by bringing in this coordinator who obviously a lot of credit has to go to daniels but you also want to put your playmakers in position to make those plays and if you've got an offense that's putting up 547.8 yards per game on eight and a half yards per play, 73 total offensive touchdowns behind only Oregon, who had 76. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty good year and worth taking a shot on on Notre Dame's side. So if Notre Dame can get figure out the offense next season, look out. Fighting Irish could be dangerous. Uh, Penn State. Penn State is set to hire former Indiana head coach Tom Allen as defensive coordinator. And I I like that hire. You know, Allen has shown he has defensive acumen. He just wasn't able to get the type of talent over to Indiana that would challenge some of these bigger programs. Uh, He he had a couple of games this year where he forced Ohio State into a tough game. You know, it was 23-3, and they made the Buckeyes uncomfortable. So, Penn State bringing in another solid defensive guy there. Georgia, uh, USC defensive backs coach Dante Williams is expected to be hired as Georgia's defensive backs coach. Williams resigned as USC's cornerbacks coach this last Saturday and fills a spot left. Or I think that was actually earlier in the season. Maybe that, that's what this article is saying. But he fills a spot left open by Georgia's staff of Fran Brown, who is on his way to Syracuse. So Georgia making a move there. And just really quick, want to touch on the recruiting and transfer portal, or recruiting portal, you know what I mean. Uh, Transfer (laughs) portal-wise, we've got some movement here, and right now it's looking like Ole Miss is a winner and Oregon is a winner. So Ole Miss landed Walter Nolan, who is the number one ranked player in the transfer portal, interior defensive lineman, you can move them all over, supremely talented, five-star recruit. So Ole Miss landed him, but they also landed two four-star edge rushers in uh, Tyler Barron and Princely Umin Mylene. And uh, forgive me, Princely, if if that's way off, but there you go. 
Um, in Oregon, they picked up Dante Moore from UCLA, the talented freshman quarterback on his way to to Eugene, which is interesting, Garrett, because they've also got uh, the former Oklahoma quarterback up at Oregon already under center. So th- that's going to be an interesting quarterback room there, and uh, we'll see what the Ducks come up with. Uh, but speaking of the Ducks, I'm seeing as I'm on them, their recruiting has been ridiculous thus far this season. Oregon is currently ranked fifth in recruiting. We've got 21, or excuse me, 26 commits, 21 four stars, and uh, the Ducks could be looking at a special year next year. Yeah, they got a lot of talent coming in, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, so, yeah, combine that with some of the offensive transfers that they've got in, like Dylan Gabriel, um, I think they're going to be. I think they're going to be an even better team potentially next year. Obviously, Bo Nix leaving. Um, but I think Bo Nix had a great season, but I think that Dylan Gabriel has the potential to even... Um, you lose a little bit of the experience and um, maybe some of the decision-making, but I like what Dylan Gabriel brings. I like his talent. Um, and so, yeah, I'm interested to see if they can maybe change up the offense a little bit around him. Uh, I think their defense is going to be improved next year. And, uh, you know, I like them to be competing for the top four again next year. So, um, yeah, really like Oregon uh, and what they're doing right now. Yeah, you you mentioned their defense. They're bringing in Aiden Breland uh, from Modern Day High School in Santa Ana, California. He's number fourth ranked defensive lineman, five-star recruit. And then Elijah Rushing, which is an ironic name given he's an edge rusher. Uh, rushing is also mm-hmm. a five-star recruit coming to Oregon. So the defense, it's clear that uh, Coach Lanning is really focused on the offense, on the trenches. I mean, the offensive line's been better at Oregon, and the defensive line is obviously thriving and deep as well. So he's he's seen the he's seen the uh, method down in Georgia, dominate the trenches, and he's trying to replicate that in Oregon. And that's that's why we've seen a lot of success for them this season. So uh, there's an update there on the transfer portal. I, uh, it should be noted on the transfer portal that there's, we still haven't seen a commitment for a highly touted Washington State quarterback, uh, Cam, Cam Ward. He's still available. It's going to be interesting to see where he ends up. But a lot of the big names are, are starting to fall now. And as far as recruiting goes, your top five, you're looking at Georgia and Bama. So... I guess I guess they're going to be back next year, <laughs> uh, but surprisingly, <laughs> yeah, they'll be all right. <laughs> they're doing okay. Uh, five, four five stars for Georgia and three for Bama, respectively. Twenty eight and twenty five total commits. Miami, Miami is number three. Two five stars, eleven four stars, twenty seven total commits. Maybe this is why Mario Cristobal is still the coach of Miami after that interesting. Uh, no kneel down loss uh, against who was that Georgia Tech? I can't even remember. Yeah, yeah, Georgia Tech. Well, there you go. Maybe that's why he's saving his job. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, recruiting is important, and uh, yeah, they're doing they're doing a really good job. Um, you know, I think they've got the they've got the potential. They have the brand. Um, they've always had decent recruits, but um, yeah, I think. Uh, this is a, obviously a massive class for them, top five in the country. So, um, you know, I, I like it. I like 
I like when Miami's good at football. I think it's good for for the sport. So uh, I, I hope they succeed. Absolutely. There's just something about those you documentaries. Thirty for thirty. Exactly. Exactly. Well, there's kind of your update on the recruiting side of things. And I promise we're getting to the games, folks. But before we do that, we Garrett and I were talking before the show about some of the scariest college football schedules next season. And a lot of them obviously fall in the SEC. But there are some other scary ones that I thought might worth be taking a look at. But before we do that, Garrett, the number one toughest ranked schedule this next year falls to the Florida Gators and that's got to be a little discouraging given that this year was a pretty tough one down in Gainesville. Yeah, I mean, you look at the just the last five games on their schedule. You go, you got Georgia, then you go at Austin to Texas. <laughs> and then you come back home to LSU, then you got Ole Miss, and then you go at Florida State. I mean, <laughs> that's just, that's an insane schedule. I mean, you have potentially... I mean, preseason, I don't, obviously those rankings aren't out yet for next year, but I wouldn't be right. shocked if you've got five top 15 teams uh, to end your season. Yeah. And yeah, that's, that's just brutal. But again, that's, I mean, that's not too, I mean, it's not too much different than a lot of these other schools in the, uh, the SEC or the big 10. Right. Um, that's, that's kind of where we're headed. You're, you're going to have to play a brutal schedule every year now. You're not going to have just like maybe one or two big games. You're going to have to play three or four behemoths every year. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I think Florida's is definitely the worst, especially since you get all five of those teams back to back to back to back. So, right. Um, yeah. And then you also, you, you, you open the season against Miami. Right. And then week three, <laughs> you play Texas A&M. It's, you know, mm -hmm. all throughout is just, it's brutal. Oh, it's it just, Looking at Miami's recruiting class, Texas A&M is going to be, you know, a new look team with their new coach, Mike Elko, uh, maybe a little bit more disciplined, who knows, but it, it's just rough. And every other team, you know, is going to be in a dogfight in their own right as well. So it's no easy games, essentially. And UCF is even a, you know, looking at them, they play them after Mississippi State. UCF is a Big 12 program now, and they're not exactly an easy out either. They've they've pulled off some big upsets in the past. So I really don't see many bright spots in this schedule other than Samford, uh, which is on September 7th, the week following their game against Miami. So, yeah, rest in peace, Florida Gators, potentially. And again, I was talking about with this uh, about this with you uh, before the show. And I, I think Florida owes Billy if they keep Billy Napier this off season. And Florida does have an impressive recruiting class, and they've been doing solid in the transfer portal as well. If they keep him, they they better they should maybe give him another year on top of next year, given his schedule. I mean, that's just insane. <laughs> Good luck. So yeah. Florida. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, making a bowl game against this schedule is going to be tough. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what kind of expectations they're going to have, but yeah, I mean, you know, if he can win seven or eight games, that'd be, that'd be really solid. Just, just looking at it from here. So, right. See. Right. And that's just, like you said, the direction, that the, this thing is going given these new conferences 
So uh, USC also made the list of hardest schedules. Northwestern, Mississippi State, Purdue, Georgia Tech, Oklahoma, and Washington, with obviously Florida being the hardest schedule uh, on there. So USC, that's interesting. There, USC, I think, also starts pretty uh, with a pretty tough game right off the bat. Uh, don't they play in Las Vegas, if I'm not mistaken? Uh, I didn't have their schedule pulled up, so I'm not sure. Just for curiosity's sake here, USC football. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They they open up against LSU. Oh, well, there you go. And in Vegas, so. And then the rest of their year, they got Utah. <laughs> then they go at Michigan, uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Penn State, at Maryland, Rutgers, at Washington, Nebraska, at UCLA, and Notre Dame. Yeah, that's a pretty brutal schedule in its own right, too. And, you know, the to me, I don't know why, Garrett, maybe this is just me, but the SEC, the, the Big Ten schedules just don't scare me quite as much. Maybe that's just because they haven't had the elite talent as, say, an Alabama and a Georgia down in the SEC, or an LSU even. Um, but... You know, maybe that remains to be seen in in the coming seasons. Yeah, I would agree with, I mean, I think that's just, you know, I think the SEC is a little bit stronger of a conference. I think it's deeper. The Big Ten to me, I think that you've got obviously your Michigans, your Ohio State, but I think you got a lot of mediocre teams there. Mm -hmm. Uh, I feel like the SEC, you've just got so many teams. We talked about Florida, um, how they have a brutal five games to end their season, but the two games before that are Kentucky and Tennessee. And I mean, those are going to be that, that those are no easy tasks. Right. Um, whereas you look at the big 10 schedule, you got a lot of teams like Maryland and Rutgers and Nebraska, um, who might be a, a bit improved next year, I think, but right. Right. Um, you know, Wisconsin, Minnesota, uh, I think, I think that it's just not as deep of a conference. Um, but it still is going to be, I mean, you've still got your your Washingtons, your Michigans, Notre Dame. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's still a tough schedule, but um, I'd still put the SEC just a bit of, a bit above the Big Ten even right. next year. Right, right, And then it should be noted for the Washington Huskies, their schedule strength of schedule is eighth, but they also have to do the most traveling next year. So the Huskies are going to be on the road quite a bit just because I think they play some of the easternmost Big Ten schools in their schedule. So not only is it eighth ranked as far as difficulty, they also have to travel the most. So Huskies could be in for a bit of a rough awakening next year. But speaking of recruiting and transfers, Huskies have done very well on both accounts. So Maybe Coach DeBoer will have them ready to go regardless. But Huskies kind of get a double whammy there, which I guess is just, again, kind of the new norm with this whole college football landscape shifting craze. Stay tuned, folks. Okay. So we got got all that news and recruiting stuff and team schedules out of the way. It's time to talk the actual games here. And we've only had two that I thought were worth noting go by thus far sorry if you're alumni of say ohio or something like that (laughs) i uh you know that good good program just you know maybe not maybe not the headlines ohio won by the way beat georgia southern 41 21 you know what let's just dive in garrett what do we think of the ohio (laughs) but no i'm kidding (laughs) um no seriously ucla got boise state 35 to 22 
And that was in the... Uh, it's not telling me what bowl it was. The L.A. Bowl. The Starco LA Brands bowl. L.A. Bowl. Okay. That, see, all these bowls are just... It just kind of lessens the impact of a bowl win when you've got this many. But I digress. Uh, in other news, Chip Kelly's job appears to be safe after the win, as there were a lot of reports going around around the time U- US- UCLA was getting ready to play USC, and UCLA, you know, beat USC pretty convincingly. Then they lost to Cal, and I thought, uh oh, maybe this is when Chip Kelly goes. But then they go win this bowl game, and everything seems to have quieted down. And Chip Kelly was brutally honest about this. He he talked about it after one of the games, saying that he had talked to the AD, and the AD said, yeah, those reports were all inaccurate. So for the time being, Chip Kelly's staying with UCLA. Uh, gut reaction, Garrett. Right move? You know, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's uh, a decent move. Um, I think that based on what he's done, I don't think he's earned uh, getting fired. Um, we talked about potentially they just wanted to go in a different direction mm-hmm. based on the way their team was built. They thought that maybe they wanted to, they needed to bring in a more offensive-minded coach to succeed or someone who had a little more success offensively uh, given that that was kind of their weak point. They thought, right. why do we have Chip Kelly? Uh, but Which then, is crazy you know, they, they to did say lose their defensive... given that he was such an offensive right. guru earlier. Right. And, um, you know, maybe that's why is just based on that. But uh, we also saw they we talked about a little bit earlier, they lost their defensive coordinator. Um, so they're already shifting there. And but, I'll, I'll, you know, they've talked to Chip Kelly. They maybe they know the locker room and um, I think that they trust him. And I, I think he's done a, a, a fine enough job overall. Um with what he's been given and given how tough the pack 12 has been, I think he's done well enough to, to stay another year. Oh, there you go. And not, and to me, I would agree in that it's also not a bad thing to have some consistency and some stability, especially as UCLA prepares to jump into the big 10 next year. And so having the same guy back at the helm of the ship, bringing in those same recruits that he had and planning on coming in, uh, to me, that not a bad move at all for UCLA to keep Chip, who, yeah, just casually dropped a, an eight-win season in a tough Pac-12 and beat a solid Boise State team to do it in a bowl game. So all things considered, not things aren't looking too bad for UCLA. Now, Texas Tech thumps Cal 34-14. to Texas Tech, obviously, uh, they, they kind of got off to a rough start this season. Losing to Iowa in that triple overtime game. And, you know, they lost a close one to Oregon. So Texas Tech obviously had the talent to do some things, some nice things this year. And they finished the season with seven wins at seven and six. Cal falls to six and seven. Cal was kind of another one of those teams, Garrett. You never knew what you were going to get. Cal is honestly probably one of the better six and seven teams I've seen recently. Really? Which is just weird to say. <laughs> this is yeah. a great 6-7 and seven team, guys. Trust me. <laughs> no, but look, look, they lost a close one to Auburn, 14-10. to 10. 
They were competitive with Oregon State. They lost by 12. They lost by one to USC. They lost 63 to 19 to Oregon. No, I'm kidding. That, that was a tough one. But <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, just some just some tough games here and there that who knows if it went the other way. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, uh, they, they, they just didn't get that signature win this season. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, against all the tough opponents they faced, they lost all of them, couldn't get the win. Um, but uh, it took care of the, the weaker opponents. So that's good until it came <laughs> to the bowl game, obviously, but a good summary of the season. <laughs> we took care of the weaker opponents. So that's good. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing too embarrassing on the the schedule, so they avoided that. That's right. That's right. Okay, let's get to the serious stuff now. Um, Let's start with the Pop-Tarts Bowl. Real quick, before we we jump to the Pop-Tarts Bowl, I do want to give one shout-out to uh, one game, one bowl game that was pretty exciting was Western Kentucky and Old Dominion. Um, I will give a shout-out to Western Kentucky. They were down 28 nothing in the second quarter, came wow. back and uh, scored uh, what three straight touchdowns in the fourth quarter to come back and send it to overtime and then won 38-35 in overtime. So that was a pretty exciting game. Um, yeah, with 19 seconds left for that last touchdown, by the way. Yeah, and the, the famous Toastery Bowl, it's inaugural, inaugural season. So, yeah, that was an exciting <laughs> one that... Uh, but yeah, if you want to catch the highlights on that one, it was a uh, really exciting ending in Charlotte, of course, as well. Ah, there um, you go. But yeah, other uh, probably the most exciting bowl game so far. So I just wanted to point that one out. Absolutely. Well, shout out there to the Western Kentucky Hilltoppers. And and that's a pretty solid program over there. I, I think I it seems to me I'm always hearing about Western Kentucky do something every year. And you think, oh, yeah, the Hilltoppers. You know, they've got a solid offense every year, and they're always pretty competitive and a lot of the times a tough out for those bigger schools. So good on you, Western Kentucky. Keep it up. Um, well, Garrett, this is this is your team right here. The Pop-Tarts Bowl, NC State, Kansas State. Well, obviously, we talked about it a couple weeks ago when we kind of did a brief overlook of all the, all the bowl games. And to me, this is still a pretty solid one here. What's your feel overall on this one? Yeah, it's it's tough, obviously, with the bowl games, not knowing who's going to play. Um, mm-hmm. Our best player, Peyton Wilson, um, he said he's gonna he's gonna sit out, and so yeah, it'll be tough. But I th- I think most players, as far as I know, are gonna gonna play. Um, so I like NC State in this one just because um, I I think that we'll have more, from what I can tell, participation from our starters. And I love the defense. They've been playing well all season. We're hot right now. Um, we struggled towards the middle of the season, but we really turned it on. Um, when NJ Morris kind of quit on us half, after three games and we had to bring back um, Brennan Armstrong, it, it really rallied the locker room around him and just um, the coaching staff. And we just played amazing football down the stretch so uh, if you know if this was the last game of the regular season everyone was playing i would really like nc state in this one mm-hmm. uh but even with 
some people sitting out. I'm still going to go NC State because I know that offensively, I think everyone's going to we're going to be at mostly full strength. Brendan Armstrong's been playing really well. Um, Robert and I's picked it up. To, I think uh, as an offensive coordinator, as a play caller, so um, I, I like where we're at right now, and so I'm I'm feeling pretty pretty confident. I think that it's just more of the culture of NC State. And Kansas State is uh, fairly similar, I will say, uh, but I think NC State's the type of program, and they've got the coaching staff and the the guys in the locker room to where you know they're not going to go out there and half-ass it. They're mm-hmm. going to really, they're going to go out there and compete, and you know, I, and I think Kansas State will as well. So I think it's a good matchup, and and it'll be a good bowl game. But um, just the way that we've been playing lately, I uh, I like where we're at. So I'll, I'll stick with NC State. Big, no, big. no bias at all. <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. The NC State fan picked NC State. Uh, this is a tough one for me because the thing for Kansas State is Will Howard has entered the transfer portal, so I'm right. I, I don't think he's going to be playing in this game, of course. And he, you know, Kansas State year round was a very tough out for pretty much everybody they played. I mean, they took Texas to the to the very end. They almost upset them in Austin State or in Austin 33 to 30. They lost that one. Uh they lost to Oklahoma State in a, tw- in a tough one 29 to 21. They lost to ninth ranked Missouri 30 to 27. They lost to they they beat Kansas, their little brother on the road. And that's a tough thing to do cuz can't beating Kansas on the road is tough. But then they kind of ended with a bit of a stinker against Iowa State 42 to 35, kind of a surprising one for me there. Kansas State is a team 22nd in the country when it comes to offense, but I think they're going to be hampered by not having their starting quarterback, a lot of pressure put on their backup as a result. And if if Howard was still going to be staying at Kansas State, I may have been swayed to pick him. Right. But given that he's not going to be there, my my money would also be on NC State. I think NC State has shown a lot of toughness on defense throughout the year, and their backup has had to step up, and he's got some game experience under his belt, knows how to run the offense, obviously. And so give me NC State as well in the Pop-Tarts Bowl. And by the way, folks, that is an edible Pop-Tart mascot that is going to be on the field. Easily That's right. the biggest bowl of the year because of that. No, kidding. Mm-hmm. But the, the biggest mascot that you can eat. So there's something. <laughs> uh, the Sun Bowl. This game lost a little bit of its luster, given that Oregon State has lost both of its one and two quarterbacks. Uh, Oregon State is going to be without DJ Uyunglele, and then their backup, uh, Aiden Childs, also transferred. He's transferred to Michigan State. So I'm not really sure who's taking the snaps for the Beavers as they take on the 15th-ranked Notre Dame Fighting Irish but going into that bowl game, if everybody was going to be playing at full strength, that's a pretty solid matchup right there. So a disappointing in that end, but gut gut feel, who are you taking, knowing that the rosters aren't going to be looking like they would? Yeah, I think that it's hard to go with Oregon State here, just you know, losing their coaching staff and the amount of players they're losing. Right. Um, not as sure on who's going to be there for the Notre Dame side, but it's it's hard not to pick Notre Dame in this one. I concur. Oregon State does have a good rushing attack, and I think they got 
their running back, one of their running back, uh, Mr. Martinez, back next year. He was a thousand yard rusher for them. So they'll they'll rely heavily on the ground game. They've got a good offensive line, but Notre Dame's defense is elite. We've talked about that, and I'm guessing that a lot of Notre Dame's offense will still be at this game. So giving the Fighting Irish to win the Sun Bowl. Uh, this is kind of a big one, though. The Peach Bowl. 11th-ranked Ole Miss and 10th-ranked Penn State. Again, judging that some of their players on their rosters won't be there. But this is a pretty elite matchup, Garrett. Yeah, uh, this is one of the more exciting bowl games, just uh, just in terms of matchup. I think this one and then uh, the the Cotton Bowl as well. But yeah, I, I always love a good SEC Big Ten matchup. Um, put the Big Ten in their place. But um, <laughs> Yeah, again, not sure who all is playing, but um, I think uh, on paper, I like Ole Miss a little more. Um, maybe a little SEC bias there, of course, but mm-hmm. um, Penn State's just been letting me down all season. I, I love the defense, but Drew Aller has been a disappointment when it comes to the big games. Overall, I had a solid season, but just the offense couldn't do anything in the the Michigan and the Ohio State games. Right, so, right. Um, Ole Miss, their defense isn't going to be that good, um, but I think that they'll be good enough that I just don't trust Penn State. Mm. Um, but then again, given a lot of players sitting now, I think that the defense, I don't know, it might be more reliable than than the offense. So I don't right. know. It's a it's a tough one for me. This one. Um, I don't know. Who, who who do you like in this one? Well, here's here's something to te- to keep note of. If Ole Miss wants to get to Penn State's QB Drew Aller, the Rebels are going to have to do it without the active leader in sacks, Cedric Johnson, who has opted out of the game. So that's certainly going to help Aller be a little bit more comfortable in the pocket. And yeah, obviously Johnson is heading to the NFL. He's collected 19 sacks in his Ole Miss career. Also had 112 tackles and 22 tackles for loss. So that's a lot of production that Ole Miss is going to have to replace, essentially. Another player that Lane Kiffin will be without next Saturday is the backup quarterback, Spencer Sanders, and that could be a major factor if the Rebels lose starting quarterback Jackson Dart at all against Penn State. I think Dart's playing, though, and a lot of other players on both teams are playing, so we should get Mm -hmm. some pretty good you know, talent on both sides of the right. ball. But that being said, I'm with you. I just don't trust Aller. I really don't. And maybe this is the the game where he's actually going to come out and explode onto the scene. But all year he had opportunities to really shine. And even, a, you know, obviously Michigan and Ohio State, those are tough games regardless. But even in those lower tier games, he never really did anything that made me think, oh, there's that five-star talent. It just, right. they they would win, but they would be kind of ugly games. And against Ole Miss, a team with that kind of offense, a team with a, a quarterback like Dart, who can really take over a game potentially, and the kind of receiving talent he has, I, I'll take Ole Miss. And I still think Ole Miss defensively is going to have enough speed to at least annoy Penn State and maybe throw them off of their game a little bit. And again, I just don't trust their offense. So I'll take Ole Miss yeah. personally. 
Yeah, I think I'm going to take Ole Miss as well. I do. It is hard because I, I love Penn State's defense, and I think that it's it's going to be a problem. But then again, you know, Ole Miss, I mean, they play in, in the SEC. They've, they've faced really strong defenses all year. Right. Um, yeah, I, I like the idea of this. I think this is a, could be a potentially big game for Drew Aller just to get some confidence going against an elite team. Mm-hmm. Um, with you know, with less pressure, it's a bowl game. Who cares? Right. So, yeah, I think Penn State's gonna. I think they're gonna play really hard for this one. I think they're. This and this is you know, this is just me speaking. There's no data on this. I I feel like Penn State's gonna want this more than Ole Miss will. Mm. Um, that's just a guess, but yeah, it's, it, I, I've picked Penn state earlier in this year in big games and they've let me down. Right. I don't like watching their offense in these games. It's atrocious. So yeah, mm. I'll, I'll take Ole Miss. Yeah. To your point about playing a little bit harder though, I, coach Franklin, I mean, it's been labeled as the guy who can't win big games and he is probably just mm-hmm. so sick of hearing that especially when you look at his resume. The the guy has won big games, including a Rose Bowl, if I'm not mistaken. And Mm -hmm. he, so he has the pedigree. He has the talent. He has the ability. And his defense has been elite all season, although Manny Diaz obviously is, is he going to be on the sideline? Because he's taking that job at Duke. Yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't know if he is. Um yeah, I don't. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't seen anything about it. I would have. I would have assumed not. Um, I think. I mean, generally, right? Coaches yeah, yeah. are not. The, if you're the moving around, you're moving probably are, on. Yeah, I mean, he's probably already working on uh, recruiting and all that in right. uh, in Durham. So I would assume not. But again, that's not. I'm not 100 no. Right. Well, regardless, that Penn State defense travels. And I think that's what's going to make this game interesting to me is if Penn State is able to shut down Ole Miss. Now, you know, this is me making a pro Penn State argument after picking against him. But if Penn State can shut down Ole Miss on offense, I could see Penn Drew. If anybody's going to beat, if if Drew Aller's going to have a big game, I could see it being against an Ole Miss defense who gave up, you know, over 50 points or I think beat LSU 56 to 49 or something like that. Ole Miss's defense right. is by no means elite. They have elite talent, but they haven't played elite as a unit all season. So perhaps this is the time where Drew Allard's able to do just enough to get Penn State over the hump, but I just I don't I just don't have the confidence in that. So I'll stick with Ole Miss, but it it could be a fun game, a fun matchup to watch simply because I think teams are the these teams are strong on different areas and it's going to be an interesting matchup to watch and good coaches on either side. So, a fun one to tune into. Um and now the Cotton Bowl. That is another exciting game. But again, I I think this this game is going to be marred a lot by the transfer portal. I mean Ohio State, I don't who I think uh, they have their backup under center, I think. Because uh, obviously McCord is gone, but they've also lost a yeah. lot of players at other key positions. And why the heck would Marvin Harrison J- uh, Jr. suit up for this one? So I think mm-hmm. Ohio State could be severely hampered by players sitting out. And now, I, even though I say that, their backups, I'm sure, are former four star, five star, or four, at least four star talent. So Ohio State's still got some depth and talent all over the field, but 
this could be a chance for Mizzou to come out and just get a big win over a brand like Ohio State. And that's kind of what, what I'm leaning towards. Mizzou may also have some guys sit out. But to me, Mizzou will come out and play harder, especially knowing, oh, we're going up against Ohio State. Let's go get them. Yeah, I, I like Missouri. I've liked Missouri all year. Um, I love their offense. Uh, I love Brady Cook, Luther Burden. Um, yeah, I and again, we talked to Kyle McCord's out, Marvin Harrison Jr. I don't believe he's playing as well. So, yeah, I I don't trust Ohio State's offense. And, um, I, yeah, I just, I just, I like Missouri. I like this Missouri team. And I think that they're probably going to be a little more, uh, they're gonna be closer to full strength than Ohio State's gonna be, and I think they're gonna be a lot more motivated, considering just where the programs are at. Ohio State obviously is, you know, they lost their Super Bowl against Michigan, missed out on the playoffs. Their goal every year is the playoffs, and I think that Missouri they're gonna be more motivated to be playing uh in just a New Year's Six bowl game than Ohio State's gonna be. So, uh, yeah, given all that, I'll I'll take Missouri. Yeah, and just so you know. Ohio State has a 75.5% chance to win this, according to the ESPN matchup predictor. So ESPN seems to be very high on Ohio State for some reason, given that a lot of these guys are not going to be playing. And that you know that's kind of interesting to see. Uh, the backup for Ohio State, if I'm not mistaken, is Devin Brown, um, who's... he. He, it's not as though Brown is a bad player, by the way. I mean, he was in a battle against uh, Kyle. Yeah, it is Devin Brown. Okay, I was right. He was in a battle early on in the season with Kyle McCord. So, it, you know, it seemed as though the team was open to either possibility. And so Brown could be a guy to, to sling the ball around the field enough. And yeah, we'll, we'll see who he's got with him on the field for Ohio State. But based on the fact that I'm thinking... Ohio State's got the type of talent that's thinking about the next level. My gut tells me Missouri mm-hmm. is going to win that because they're going to be hungrier. Their coach is hoping to set up a solid recruiting class this next year. Mizzou being in the top 10, it's a really exciting time and a big moment for them. So give me Mizzou to go out and beat Ohio State. Um, Here's the most pissed off bowl, Georgia-Florida State. And arguably the most talent, but the bad thing is you you were telling me a lot of guys are sitting out for Florida State, and that leads me to believe a lot of guys are sitting out for Georgia. I've already seen a couple of Georgia players enter the transfer portal, namely some of their better cornerbacks. So what are we looking at here, Garrett? Yeah, this game has got two teams that are just going to be a shell of themselves. Um, yeah, Florida State, uh, Keon Coleman, uh, Johnny Wilson, Trey Benson, obviously Jordan Travis. I mean, they're they're, they're basically all their weapons and quarterback on off on offense are going to be out. Uh, it's going to be full backups. Um, their best player defensively, Jared Verse, uh, is also going to be out. Uh, starting tight end Jaheim Bell's out. I mean, they're going to be backups all over the field. Um, and then, like you mentioned, Georgia, they've had just uh, a shocking transfer portal. Um, the amount of players transferring out from Georgia this offseason has been almost concerning. Uh, luckily, they do have the number one recruiting class coming in next year, but still, when it, it doesn't bode well for next year, seeing how many players they're losing. 
And I don't think they've gotten in as many as I would like to see, given how many left. So, right. yeah, definitely a little bit of a disappointment. You know, if both these teams were full strength, obviously a lot of people were uh, were excited about this matchup, so it's disappointing to see. Right. Um, but given what I given what I've seen from Florida State, obviously Jordan Travis, even you know, uh, factoring that in, um, I've got to go Georgia, just because I think that the the people that are missing for Florida State are going to be more impactful than uh, the players sitting out for Georgia, and I think Georgia is going to be um, they're just deeper. And I think that, you know, Georgia can go down to their second strings and I think they'll it's not gonna be as much of a drop off. So yeah, give me uh give me Georgia. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, Florida State losing losing all of those talented weapons across the field just does not bode well, in my opinion. And I already thought Georgia was deeper coming into this, just with past recruiting classes and whatnot. That adds up over time. So for me, I'm going with the Georgia Bulldogs as well. A couple of names to keep an eye on, I suppose, for Florida State would be the running back, uh, Kaziah Holmes, the backup. He's got a big a chance to play a big role in the bowl game with the recent transfers and NFL draft declarations. Um, so he could be ready to take advantage of the opportunity. He had two impressive scampers um, early in the season that you know kind of had a spark. So that's a guy maybe to keep an eye on. The true freshman wide receiver, Hakeem Williams, another skill guy. He's been banged up in the late season, but finally looks to be on the right track, according to reports as far as coming from practices and whatnot. So Florida State still has some weapons here and there, but Georgia is just, I think, going to be a little much to handle and probably mm-hmm. ticked off. So, yeah, well, obviously Florida State has kind of a reason to be as well. But, yeah, give me Georgia with a talent deficit there. Uh, hey, this is this is another school of yours, Fiesta Bowl, Oregon versus Liberty. I know Bo Nix has said that he's going to play Garrett. Does that mean Oregon automatically wins? I mean, I'm not going to put money on Liberty, mm. but but just for this, I'm going to pick Liberty. And oh my gosh. I think that look, on paper, Liberty has been fantastic all season. They didn't lose a game. Perfect 13 low. And mm-hmm. again, there's yeah. their strength of schedule, it's been said, is terrible. Worst in FBS. I get that. <laughs> um, but they've done it in such impressive fashion. They're not they're they're so efficient, both offensively and defensively. I've mentioned before. Um the statistics are there. They've got Caden Salter at quarterback, a dynamic playmaker. Some of the runs he was making against New Mexico State in the uh, the Conference USA Championship game were Lamar Jackson esque. Um, so I think they've got you know CJ Daniels. They got uh, a, a lot of weapons offensively too. That I think that I think they have the necessary playmakers to get things done uh, to cause an upset. Obviously, it's going to be talent deficit, and I, you know, I've been a big fan of Oregon all year, right? Um, but I, you know, in a game where I'm, I'm looking for some some small advantages or uh, bright spots that I think Liberty can use to pull off the upset. Um, it's it's just Caden Salter's playmaking at quarterback. I think is going to always give them a chance um, mm. to to make it happen, and then 
um, on the defensive side of the ball, what gives me the most promise is uh, Liberty's turnovers. They're, um, let me just verify this real quick. Uh, they've gotten 25 turnovers forced this season. Um, that's good for, I believe, fourth in the country. Um, they've forced, and I think they lead the country in interceptions. They've gotten 21 interceptions this season. Mm. Number one in the country. So I think that if they can force a couple turnovers, Caden Salter can uh, make some of those splash plays. Uh, I think they've got a shot. So I'm going to go ahead and pick them. Hey, fair enough. Again, no bias. <laughs> no bias at all. But what do you think about the losses of Preston Hodge and Robert Rahimi on defense? Yeah, they've lost um, a lot. They've lost a few key players to the transfer portal. Um, Preston Hodge is probably the biggest one. But I think that they've got enough playmakers that they can make up for it. I do believe, um, I believe Quentin Cooley is also, um, if I'm not mistaken, I think he's transferring to to Wake Forest. Uh, if I'm not, or he's, where's he transferring to? I'm not sure, but I, I think he's transferring and he's not going to be playing. Either way, though, I think they have enough playmakers, and I think that Caden Salter, uh, his playmaking ability alone is, uh, especially with his legs, is going to cause a lot of problems for Oregon. And mm. so that's that's you know they, they've lost a few key pieces, but I'm putting my hope. In Caden Salter. In Salter, we trust. In Salter, we trust. Well, let me see. Let, let's stack the cards and see what is up against Liberty. As the Ducks, uh, not only is Bo Nix suiting up, but Bucky Irving is confirmed that he will be active despite entering the 2024 NFL Draft. Defensively, Kyrie Jackson who's also entered the NFL draft, is also suiting up. No, I'm kidding. He's he's not suiting up. He's sitting out. Uh, Jackson Powers Johnson, he won the Remington Trophy, uh, given to the nation's best center. Uh, he may not suit up on January 1st. We'll see. Some other notable players that are in the air, Troy, Flank, Troy Franklin, there we go, and Tez Johnson. They ranked second and fifth in the Pac-12 receiving yards, respectively. They're up in the air currently. They may go. They may not. Odds makers have little faith in the Flames. Liberty, obviously, perfect 13-0. It should, we should, we got to applaud that. Capped off with a Conference USA championship, but played no Power 5 teams. Hmm, interesting. Uh, the, Fiesta, uh, the Fiesta Bowl features one of the highest totals in bowl season. The Ducks and the Flames finish the year with top five scoring offenses, averaging a combined 89 points per game. Are we going to see over that? It should be. We, we got to see. You never know. Um, I hope so. I think I think Liberty's going to have to. I don't, it's going to be tough for Liberty to stop Oregon. So I, I like the idea. If we're in a shootout, I'm I'm okay with that because I, I I have a lot more trust in our offense. Uh, the Conference USA Championship game against New Mexico State got into a shootout. Uh, so and our defense really couldn't stop them. So I don't trust them against Oregon, especially with Bo Nix playing. So. Um, I like our chances better in a shootout. So I'm, I'm again, I want Caden Salter to be all over the place. Right. Right. And in if, a good way. And if <laughs> that's right. And if, if, if Oregon wants to win this game, they got to blow the flames out early. I think pun intended, they have to put their, put their stamp on this game to where next thing, you know, it's 28, nothing. And you know, you, you got to take the life out of a team like Liberty quickly 
Uh, otherwise, if you let them hang around, then you're asking for trouble. Yeah, that, that's just the way these things go. So Oregon, that's the way they are going to want to do this is end the game quickly. And Liberty, if they can get into a shootout, like you're saying, I I could see Liberty pulling off an upset, as crazy as that sounds. With that being said, I'm going Oregon. Moving on. No, I'm just that's kidding. That's fair. That's fair. <laughs> no, I don't blame you. I don't blame you. It's a smart pick. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the it's the money making pick. So I no 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 disrespect to Liberty. In fact, Liberty as a program is set up for success. I think with you know a lot of money's being pumped into the program. They've they've got good facilities. They're putting up 13 win seasons and heading into a 12 team playoff. More talented recruits and transfers, I think, will be thinking, hey, why not just go to Liberty where I'm going to have a good season, I'm going to get a lot of tape put on me, and we're going to have a shot to go to the playoffs. I mean, why not? So I think in that sense, the 12-team playoff opens doors for these maybe not mid-majors, what's the word I'm looking for, these smaller programs that maybe wouldn't be bringing in that elite talent now they've still got a shot to go compete. So in that sense, I think Liberty's mm-hmm. set up for great success going forward. I just don't know. I really, like you, I liked Oregon all season, and I just don't know if mm-hmm. Liberty's going to be able to hang with them. And Coach Lanning's still going to bring it when it comes to aggressiveness. So I I, I think yeah. I'll take Oregon there. But we shall see. That's why these games are not played on paper. And with that said, we go to our in-depth coverage of the college football playoff and we've got some primetime matchups here and before we start with the one and four matchup seeing as we were talking about oregon i feel like we would be remiss if we didn't jump straight to the sugar bowl garrett as washington versus texas this is a great matchup a rematch of last year's Alamo Bowl in which the Huskies beat the Longhorns. Obviously a much different Longhorns team here. That that Alamo Bowl Longhorns team was 8-5 and five by season's end. And Texas, obviously a lot different this time around. So with that being said, Garrett, Washington versus Texas. Great offense, both sides of the ball. Texas, though, may have the edge on defense. That's kind of the general synopsis there. What are your thoughts on this game? Yeah, this one, I think is, it's a lot closer for me, even than Michigan, Alabama, um, just because I feel like these two teams, they've been so up and down this year, Washington, I, you know, both games against Oregon, I picked Oregon pretty confidently and Washington proved me wrong. So, but then again, they've got games where they just look really tough, both offensively and defensively. Um, you know, Arizona State, they could only put up 14, 15 points against them. And then uh, a lot of instances this year where the defense just couldn't stop anyone. USC, obviously, but then even Utah put up 28 on them. Uh, Stanford put up 33. Uh, Cal put up 32 on them. So they've just been a little bit inconsistent. So it's hard to it's hard to really pin them down and get a good read on them. But then the same goes for Texas. Um, right. you know, obviously they had the, the huge win over Alabama early in the season, but then, uh, they lost to Oklahoma in the rivalry game. They've had some close calls against Houston, uh, had to escape against Kansas state later in the season. Then 
follow that up with another close one against TCU. Um, yeah, they've been up and down, but, uh, you know, as many close games as they've had, but both teams have been able to find ways to win. And so, yeah, both teams, it's, it's hard to really get a read on either one of them. Mm. Um, they've had moments where they look incredible. They've got great wins, but then, you know, like I said, games where they just, they look really out of sync. And so it, it's, it's hard to know who's going to show up. Right. Um, Looking at just uh, the talent disparity, these teams were built very differently. You've got Texas. Uh, they got nine five stars, 47 four stars on the roster. They're loaded with talent, one of the most talented teams in the country. And then you've got Washington, who has not doesn't have a single five star on the roster, and basically half the four stars that Texas does. Right. Um, this team was built a lot differently. And so I think the talent disparity... Um, make it makes me lean Texas, uh, especially on the defensive side of the ball. Um, and you know, in the trenches, I think is going to be the biggest difference. It's going to be hard to overcome that talent disparity when you've got guys like Tavondre Sweat, um, and the defensive line that Texas has. That's going to be the biggest challenge for Washington in this game. Um, on the offensive side of the ball for Washington, uh, Obviously, their identity is through the passing game. They're fourth, or they're they're ninth in yards per pass attempt. Right. Um, obviously, Michael Penix Jr. has had an incredible season, and Roma Dunze, Jalen Polk, they've got the weapons. Uh, that's gonna often, you know, the passing game is gonna have to be clicking if they want to have a chance in this game, mm-hmm. and that's gonna be their best bet. Texas is not great against the pass defensively. Uh, they're 31st in yards per pass attempt on the defensive side of the ball. So, and their secondary has been suspect all year. If, if I think Washington has a chance to really move the ball through the air, the problem is going to be running the ball. Um, an underrated part of Washington's offense is the run game. The obviously with Michael Penix Jr., Roma Dunze, the, the pass game gets all the attention and early on in the season. It, it, that was, you know, pretty much all they were doing against lesser opponents. But when it came to the tougher games, um, the games against Oregon, the games against USC, the, it was the running game that really shined, and they showed that uh, Dylan Johnson was playing a huge role in the offense. And in games where they struggled to run the ball, uh, you saw the entire offense sort of uh, come to a halt. You look right. at um, you look at the game that they really struggled against Arizona State. They only put up 15 points, and they could not run the ball that game. They only, uh, Dylan Johnson had six rushing yards. Right. Um, and you look at the two games against Washington state and Oregon state to end the season. Um, both those games, he was held under 90 yards. So I think that that's going to be a real problem if they can't run the ball against this Texas front. Um, I don't know how long they can get away with just dropping back and airing it out the entire game. Um, as, you know, as mediocre as Texas's secondary is, uh, if they if they can force Washington to become one dimensional, I think they can uh, take advantage of that. And so um, I, I have a little bit of concern there for Washington offensively, defensively. Um, you know, they've been inconsistent all year. Uh, they showed up against Oregon both games. I was, you know, Oregon was able to score. But I was still impressed with Oregon's def- or with Washington's defense. I thought they were able to step up when they needed to and make plays. Um, 
and uh, Texas offense has been a little inconsistent, but they've been really strong uh, later on in the season. Quinn Ewers has stepped up in big moments. We've obviously the Alabama game. Um, Alabama's got a great defense, but he stepped up and um, yeah, made, made a lot of big plays. Right. So uh, Texas offense versus Washington defense, I think could go either way. Um, I think I favors Texas still a little bit in that matchup just because I think their run game can carry them. They're, they're obviously, um, they're onto their backup running back, but they've got a, a lot of talented backs. I don't think that's going to hurt them too much. Right. Um, so I, I really don't know, um, on this one. It's such a toss up. Some of the things that I think it can come down to some of the key stats here for me is Washington on third down. They're 11th in the country in third down, converting basically half uh, mm. of their third downs. And I think that that's going to be key in this game is um, if they can't run the ball very efficiently, if they can't break off the long runs, if they're getting held to two and three yard carries, um, I think that that's going to. I feel like they're going to be in a lot of these third and five, third and six situations. And throughout the year, they've been really solid in those spots. And I think that's what right. gets them through some of these games, like the Oregon game is um, they've been just really efficient in those big moments when they really needed it. And um, so I, I like that aspect for them. And on the flip side of the ball, Texas has been pretty, uh, they've been pretty rough on third down. They're 69th and third down percentage uh, on the offensive side of the ball. So it, Something like that is just kind of one of those minor details that um, I, that makes me lean Washington. And then um, one other thing on the Texas defense, they're 74th in explosive pass defense. Um, they've Oof. given up so many big plays this year uh, that it, you know, even though Washington could become one dimensional, I think if they can get a little bit going in the run game, I think there's gonna be a lot of opportunities for those big explosive plays to a Dunze and Jalen Polk down the field uh, that I do worry a little bit about Texas getting into the shootout where if they can get if Washington can get going early, um, score quick touchdowns, force Quinn Ewers to air it out. Um, I just, I, I don't trust him. He's been a little bit inconsistent. I don't trust him as much as Washington's offense. Right. Um, so, it's again, real toss up for me, but, and, and, you know, I, I said in the last show, I was, I was leaning Texas, but I'm actually leaning Washington. Whoa. The more that I've looked at the stats, it's just some of the minor details like Texas's pass defense, right? Um, Washington's off Washington's pass offense, that matchup right there. Uh, I think it's going to be the biggest, it's the biggest disparity that I can see. Um, just in 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 this game so yeah i don't know it's it, it just scares me it makes me a little uncomfortable picking right. texas i know they've got the talent they 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 have the advantage in the trenches um the, the offense is a little more balanced but it's just hard to overlook that i think that's going to be the biggest mismatch on the field is going to be texas's secondary trying to cover these receivers so mm -hmm. um and then if, if they do get into that situation where they're so they can't run the ball and they become one dimensional. The offensive line for Washington has been so good in pass protection this season. Um, PFF has them fifth in the country and pass blocking grade. Uh, the tackles have been outstanding. 
Troy Fautanu, I believe how you pronounce it, has been an outstanding at tackle. He's going to be a first-round pick. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and, and uh, me and you were talking before, and I was really undecided. I was, and I, I've been leaning Texas um, most, almost all the way up until now, ever since the bowl was announced. But um, yeah, I'm actually I'm leaning Washington now, not by much. I think this is me. You know, again, this this could go either way, but right. Just um, I'm leaning Washington. What, what do you think? Well, it's funny that you start leaning that way because I'll just come right out and spoil the surprise. I'm leaning that way as well. And it's it, to me, one stat that jumped out to me, it, it a lot of this is going to be anecdotal on my side. And, and I've already talked to you about uh, the respect I have for coach Kalen DeBoer. But also the Husky team, I think, just has some metal to it in that each of Washington's past nine games have been wins by 10 points or fewer. And that's the longest streak, apparently, in college football history. So for the Huskies to have nine straight games where they were taking opposing teams' best shots— and the Huskies didn't necessarily play great games. I mean, let's go through this streak. Arizona, 31 to 24. And to be fair, Arizona, we didn't realize how good they were at that time. I think they were three and three at the time. Uh, the Oregon mm-hmm. game was fantastic, 36 to 33. But then trouble hits. They struggle against Arizona State, like you were saying, 15 to seven. It's just one of those grinded out games where their metal was tested. Once again, Stanford, 42 to 33. Really difficult game. Their defense did not look good. USC, they have to go to the Coliseum against one of the best offenses in the country. And fortunately, USC's defense was a non-factor as they put up 52, and they win 52-42. to But there was an instance, and I highlighted that play, where the Huskies got a sack on third down and made it like fourth and 20, and that ultimately won them the game. Their defense made the play when it needed to. Then against Utah, they take a tough test there, 35-28. Oregon State, we talked about that one a lot. That that showed a lot of mental toughness right there, being that they're a passing team. Their run game wasn't doing very well in those elements, and they, and they go into a place where, historically speaking, I've seen so many Pac-12 power teams who looked like they could have been going on a championship run lose in Corvallis, and the Huskies won 22-20. Then against Washington State, this one hurt, but <laughs> that that gutsy fourth down call where in their own territory, Coach DeBoer dials up a reverse play and they execute it to perfection. They get a big 30-some yard gain, kick the game-winning field goal, and obviously the, the feel-good moment afterwards where the kicker got the scholarship in the locker room. And then the really solid game against Oregon where Oregon – clawed their way back into the game and i thought oh man the ducks they've they've got it they're going to the championship and what happens coach DeBoer dials up another great call on a third and short or was that or was it a fourth and short i forget uh odun or and i don't think it was odunze either uh another uh, it was either mcmillan or polk who came up with the big catch and mm-hmm. they sealed they sealed helped seal the win there so all that to say, I think 
over time, over time, the Huskies have just shown that they're the cardiac kids. They're not scared of the moment. They're not scared of these close game situations. And again, just looking at the statistics, yes, Washington's defense has not been great, but they've shown up in key moments to get key stops. And speaking of defenses not looking great, Texas, to your point, they've, they're ranked 94th in the country against the pass. That's worse than Washington State, might I add. Wes Cougs, we're at 89th. So there you go. Put it in perspective. Um, and that's just not a comfortable thing for me when you've got one of the best passing, if not the best passing offenses coming to town in the Washington Huskies with Michael Penix Jr., who was the Heisman runner-up. I just think the Huskies and Coach DeBoer, they've been in these situations where it's this is probably going to be a close game. Texas is a great team, elite talent all over the field. But I just like something about these Huskies. I just think they're legit. They're ballers. The stats may not look great, but they go out and get it done. And I'm going to pick the Huskies. And to your point about Texas, I just ne- don't necessarily trust their offense. Brock, you know, co- uh, Ewers. He's he's looked inconsistent at times. The it just it just seems to kind of fall apart in some instances. They've had a lot of mediocre games this season against lesser competition that I just thought, man, Texas does that just they don't look good. So in that tough loss to Oklahoma too, who we thought was to be fair elite at the time, now not so much. So in any case, I'm. I switched as well to the Huskies, and I'm surprised to be saying that because earlier I was thinking, well, Texas, it's a simple equation. Their defense is good enough to keep the Huskies' offense in check, and their offense can keep up. So I'll take Texas. And they beat Bama earlier in the season. Therefore, Texas wins. But I, I'm switching to the Huskies. I'm, I'm with you. So there we go. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's, it's tough, but it's the – that offense, uh, the passing game of Washington versus the secondary of Texas, just that matchup. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, um, I think Washington's defense is just, I think they're underrated. Um, I, you know, in that championship game against Oregon, they played the run really well. Um, Bucky Irving couldn't get anything going on the ground. And I think that they're going to be able to, I don't know about shut down Texas's run game, but I think they'll be able to slow it up enough and they'll be able to get enough done offensively that Quinn Ewers is going to have to, he can't be a, a passenger in this game. Uh, He can't play it like a McCarthy or a Milrow where uh, they're just, you know, expected to make a play every now and then. I think that he's going to get into a situation where they're going to have to air it out and he's going to have to throw the ball 20, 30 times. And, I just, I don't, again, don't trust him in that situation. Um, and yeah, I think one of the main things for me is just what you were talking about with uh, Kalen DeBoer, the coaching staff, the way that Washington's just been able to find ways to win. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've, I've been doubting them all year. I've, I picked Oregon against them both times. And just because on paper, it seemed like a mismatch, but they found a way to win and they've stepped up in these big games and played their best football. So Michael Penix Jr. He's proven in the big moments that 
when they need a play, he will go out and make it. And they've right. got the playmakers, Roma Dunze. Uh, they need a big catch. He's, you know, one of the best receivers in the country at contested catches. You know, even if it's a, a goal line fade or if it's not open, he can just throw the ball up. And, um, you know, he's shown time and time again that in the biggest moment, he can go up and make the play. So um, and then Jalen Polk, even if, you know, his role has somewhat or his productions decreased. Well, then you've got Jalen McMillan as well, who's right. willing to step in. He had, a, you know, he was a leading receiver against or this, you know, Oregon mm-hmm. this last game. So, yeah, I think their defense is, um, uh, you know, they, they, well, first off, I think they just find ways to win. Uh, I think that the the passing game is going to have a lot of success, uh, a lot of opportunities against the Texas secondary. And then I think that their rush defense is going to be better than on than it shows on paper. I think that they're going to be able to step up and, and slow down the Texas run game and force Quinn Ewers to make big plays. Right. So just be, I think those are the three keys for me. And um, I, yeah, I, I like Washington. I like just from a coaching aspect, um, from a quarterback aspect, I, I trust them in this, in a tight game to, to pull out a win. Right. And and to be fair to those who are picking Texas or are Texas fans, I realize you could flip a lot of what we've just said. With Well, Texas has had a lot of close games, but they did just enough to win. Why can't we make that argument? I, I totally get that. I'm with you. But I just think the Huskies, they've been doing that so consistently that it's just started to catch on that, oh, maybe this team's just made of a different kind of metal and they've had some really gutsy wins spread throughout, whereas it seemed like, for me, it just feels like whenever Texas is in a game like that, it's almost as if, oh, oops, we better not screw this up. Like that game against TCU, especially, where they were up 29-6, to six, and they lose, and they win 29-26. to 26. They gave up 20 fourth-quarter points to TCU. I'm sorry, that, mm-hmm. that's just not a good look. Whereas it seemed as though the Huskies, they were the ones on the front foot making the plays to win the game at the very end. As opposed to, whew, we got out of that one, and it seemed like Texas was the latter. They, they did just enough mm-hmm. to barely escape with the win, whereas the Huskies were the ones actively going out and taking the win. That's how I would kind of generalize that season. I realize that's a generalization there. But by and large, I just think the Huskies are the ballers in that situation. And so is Texas, to be fair. Just just different. But enough about one of these amazing college football games we have slated up here. We've got another one in the Rose Bowl. The granddaddy of them all, as Brent Musburger would say. We've got Michigan versus Alabama, two of the premier college football programs in history. Michigan, obviously, the winningest college football program in NCAA history. And then, of course, the Crimson Tide <laughs> setting records in their own right. Uh, Garrett, I mean, this 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 game has it all. It's got the pageantry. It's got the elite coaches. It's got elite talent on both sides of the ball. Statistically speaking, this is one of the best Michigan defenses or one of the best defenses for Michigan we've ever seen. So, And then for Alabama, Alabama's caught fire in the second half of the season and are just setting the stat sheets on fire in a lot of ways. So, you don't have to make the you don't have to make the first pick this time if you don't want to. You can save that for me, but what's your initial reaction to this game? 
Um, yeah, looking forward to this one. Uh, I think that these are, in my opinion, the two best teams mm-hmm. uh, in the country right now. They they have very similar identities. They rely a lot on their defense. Um, they wear you out on the ground, and then they've got quarterbacks who, when they needed to, there will they can step up and make a big play. Um, you know, uh, you're not gonna see either one really airing it out. Um, you know, throwing for 30, 40 times, but they're efficient when they need to make the plays. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both teams don't pass a ton, but these are actually, you know, on paper, two of the most efficient passing offenses in the country. Alabama's fourth in yards per pass attempt, uh, and Michigan's mm-hmm. right not too far behind at 13th. Um, so they're, you know, they're good at finding their spots and wearing you out through the run game, uh, dominating time of possession, um, playing good defense, and then just smart uh offense and you know just playing very efficiently but um yeah you know on paper michigan they're basically fifth in all of the efficiency categories defensively um alabama is a little farther down um you know yards per play they're 18th uh yards per rush attempt they're 30th but i think that a lot of that can be attributed to the fact that alabama's playing a, in my opinion a tougher schedule Right, especially for their defense, uh, you know they're having to play LSU, Georgia, uh, Ole Miss. Whereas, I don't think that the Big Ten has those kind of offenses. So I think that that's why you see a little bit of the disparity statistically, defensively. I think that, um, you know, on paper Michigan shows an edge there, but in my opinion, I think Alabama's defense is just as good, and I think a lot of that is um, there. The, I, mean, I would take Michigan's rush defense. Um, I think that on the ground, they're easily one of the best. Alabama's maybe lacking a little bit there. But when it comes to pass defense, I think Alabama's pass rush, for one, uh, is better. And mm-hmm. I think that they're better in the secondary. I think their secondary is just playing amazing right now. Uh, and that was fully on display in the Georgia game. I think that they're probably the best secondary in the country. And I think that that's going to be the biggest problem for Michigan is, you know, I don't, it's, it's going to be so tough for them to move the ball through the air. Obviously they want to be on the ground, but if that gets shut down against this Alabama defense, and I think, you know, you give Nick Saban this much time to prepare. um, I think that they're going to find a way to stack the box, shut down the run game, force McCarthy to throw it more than they'd like. And just say, we like our secondary versus your weapons. Um, mm. You know, Roman Wilson, he's come up big uh, down the stretch. But I just don't think that Michigan has the weapons to deal with Alabama's secondary if they're forced to throw the ball. Um, so that's a that's a spot I like from for Alabama. Um, and then on the flip side, I think that for Alabama's offense, as much as I love Michigan's defense, it's just a little bit of a wild card with Jalen Milrow because he's going to be a quarterback like they haven't seen before. Right. Uh, his ability to, you know, extend plays, uh, extend drives, scrambling. It's, you know, it's just not something that Michigan's used to. Um, they haven't seen it yet in the Big Ten. And I think that's just the biggest problem is, you know, Alabama's defense is seeing these, you know, they had to play Jaden Daniels. Uh, they had to play all these elite offenses and Michigan just didn't really have to do that. The best offense they faced was, you know, 
Ohio State with Kyle McCord. Right. And, you know, maybe Maryland. Uh, they faced uh, Talia Tungvaloa. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, they really haven't had to face anybody quite like Alabama. And uh, certainly not like Jalen Milrow. So I just, it's 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 fine margins. But uh, it's just a couple of, it's just, a couple of things like that. Alabama secondary and then Jalen Milrow to me are going to be the two key difference makers that make me lean Alabama. Um, mm. uh, both teams are great on third down. There's, there's really not a lot separating these two teams. Again, similar identities, great defense, love to run the ball, efficient when they need to throw it. Um, you know, JJ McCarthy, uh, number one in the country in quarterback rating on third down. He's just when it, you know, when they need him to throw it. And that was really on display in the Ohio State game. He he didn't have to throw the ball much, but when he did, he made some incredible plays to extend drives. Um, and the, you know, that was so key for them. And that's that's really what he's been doing all season. Not asked to do a lot, but when he does, he he makes the right play. Right. I just worry that in this game against this secondary, that I don't know if that's gonna be enough. But it's 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 so close with these teams. What uh, what are your thoughts? Well, uh, I have a lot of the same concerns for Michigan that you do. In that, you know, the best offense that Michigan has faced all season was Ohio State, and they were in at thirty sixth. And I, I think that was the passing side of things. But I think total, yeah, Ohio State was at, yeah number thirty six according to NCAA rankings. So now, you know, they're jumping up to an offense that uh, may not total offense be higher than Ohio State, but they just bring so many different weapons to the table. Every other team that Alabama or excuse me, that Michigan has gone up against this year has tried to beat them with kind of an intermediate passing game, you know, low yardage to to, to medium yardage. And all of them have failed. Whereas Alabama is just set up completely different. You know, Milrow, he loves to lob the deep ball to his talented, you know, playmakers. You got Jermaine Burton, you got Isaiah Bond. Both of those guys are just elite. That is going to give, I think, the Wolverines defense a more vertical test than really any other team that they faced. Maybe even more so than Ohio State. I, I think Marvin Harrison's arguably the the best receiving prospect we've seen in some time. But that just wasn't necessarily in the Buckeyes' game plan. You know, they were they're trying to establish a run, and then they would try to test here and there. But it just it didn't seem to come to fruition quite as much. On top of this, Milrow can run like nobody that Michigan has ever seen. He is going to test them by trying to get outside the pocket, and Michigan's going to have to have a spy on him. And their defensive line is going to have to be disciplined and stay in lanes like maybe they're not used to doing. So I I think Bama presents some unique challenges to Michigan. But here's the thing I'll say in favor of Michigan is Alabama has a pass protection problem. You know, we've talked about this all season. Uh, The Crimson Tide, they've allowed, I think, a sack on about 11% of their dropbacks. One of the handful of worst marks in the FBS. And only 13 teams had worse pressure allowed rate than their 38.3% mark. And you're talking about a Michigan team that is just elite in that facet. And then Milrow, like any quarterback, I suppose, but he he was more vulnerable in obvious passing downs. And Bama converted, 
only 34% of its third downs. And he tended to get sacked on those downs as well. And he, he got sacked on nearly, you know, if we're focusing in on that, he got sacked nearly on 20% of their passing down dropbacks. That's the worst mark out of 133 FBS teams through the conference championship weekend. So, of course, that's not all on Milrow. That it, it's, it's, it's not all on the Bama line either. Milrow, I think he holds the ball way too long and takes a lot of sacks as a result. Uh, he actually holds the ball 3.04 seconds to release, and that's the slowest time among any FBS passer. So I think against Michigan, that clock's going to be even slower. Or, or excuse me, it's going to be it's going to have to be quicker. He's going to be sped up, and this is the best defense that I think he might be facing all season. Georgia would Georgia's you could argue is up there as well, and he did just enough to win. But it's not like his stats were incredible or anything. Um, but Michigan on the other side. I look at let's look at Michigan's offense versus Bama's defense, which is probably where this game's going to be decided. Honestly, uh, the tide they aren't like defensive lines in the past for me, where Nick Saban had those impossible to block defensive tackles, like uh, where there was Deron Payne or Quinn and Williams to go up against the middle of Michigan's line. They don't really have that this year. They've got more of these really athletic incredibly talented edge rushers but all in all you know they're when we look at their team rating adjusted for conference and roster they're 57th against the run that's not great whereas Michigan has literally mm-hmm. won entire games with their run game and even though they lost Zach Zinter against Ohio State when he broke his leg they they shifted right tackle Carson Barnhart inside to Zinter's spot and then the backup Trente Jones he looked pretty good against Iowa he's going to take Barnhart's tackle spot so and then you and I were talking about this earlier but Michigan is a really good developmental program you know they don't have the five stars that Bama does but they they build studs and that's especially the case on the offensive line uh that's been essentially the offensive line has been responsible for Michigan's success um especially in a game like against Penn State where McCarthy didn't even register a pass late in that game it, it was that I've never seen anything like that in recent memory that, that's ridiculous and that was against Penn State arguably the one of the best defensive units in the country so I'm honestly leaning towards Michigan with all that being said I'm kind of surprised I'm saying that because earlier I was leaning towards Alabama. Wow. I mean, you got Nick Saban. You've got all these five-star talents. You've got uh, – Bama's been on fire as of late. They've knocked off Georgia. They went on a tear. But I doubted Michigan against Ohio State. And I think – and this is all anecdotal. But I think Michigan really wants to go out and shock the world given that those guys inside that locker room have probably been under more pressure than any other roster in the country, given the allegations, given that Harbaugh was suspended. I think there's something, there's a fire in that locker room that no other team can understand. And I think Michigan has an opportunity here to really go out and silence a lot of 
their haters and put up a big win. Everybody was la- laughing at them as well when that video was released where they re- they reacted to Bama being their opponent and the room was kind of right, quiet yeah. like, oh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I think they have an opportunity here to go to really show out and say, no, look, we are elite. We do belong in this conversation. And I think that's going to play a big part. And ultimately, this all comes to McCarthy for me. Is this his moment? You know, if Michigan does struggle on the ground without without Zinter, for example, it's gonna be it's gonna put even more on the plate for JJ. Who, to be fair, I under I totally get why you'd pick Bama. To be fair, JJ he hasn't been the most trustworthy necessarily. He's had a fine year. Um, you know, he's um, according to this well thrown ball rate, he was at eighty point eight percent which is above the NCAA average of 76.4. And he's not turnover prone uh, uh, with better than average 3.2 pickable pass percentage. Um, But most of his gaudy numbers came against opponents below Michigan's weight class. So not exactly a lot to, to chew on, but I guess he just never really made mistakes that made me think, oh, he's going to cost Michigan the game. But I do think he's going to be put into more tough positions where he's got to go get it. And, you know, it, to be fair, that they, he's made enough throws, but I think against Bama, he's really going to have to potentially earn a little bit more. And, you know, I'm taking a gamble on him. I think he's going to do just enough. Man. So give me Michigan. Wow. Um, I'm taking him. Man, I did not see that coming. <laughs> me neither. But... <laughs> <laughs> Here's the thing, though. What's giving me concern for Michigan is actually the fact that Alabama lost to Texas early in the season. Mm. I'm thinking, why? Yeah, why, Garrett? That lost that lost to Texas, the struggle against USF. Everyone was writing Alabama off. Michigan probably wasn't sending Connor Stallions and his scouting team <laughs> to cheat and steal signals from Alabama. They didn't think they'd be here. <laughs> That's why they were so scared in that meeting. Oh. They thought, oh. We, we don't have scout to sign them. this team. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think they're going to be a big disadvantage because of that. Oh, okay. But in all seriousness, <laughs> uh, in all seriousness, um, I think that one of the key things for me uh, was watching the Alabama-Georgia game and watching how dominant Alabama's offensive line was. Coming right. into the season, we expected Alabama to have maybe the best offensive line in the country. They had the talent for it and they, they, we didn't see it in the run game for sure all season, but just in general, that that was a big, you know, a, a disappointment for them. Part of why they were struggling, but watching them in that Georgia game, it, they were dominant on both sides of the ball. Um, their, their offensive line just looked so that, you know, and it doesn't, again, it doesn't reflect in the numbers. You look at, Oh, they had a, a uh, pretty mediocre and honestly poor yards per carry. Um, mm-hmm. Start Rodell Williams had four yards a carry, but uh, definitely not super impressive. Um, but I think if you just watch the game overall, they gave Jalen Milrow plenty of time. You know, you, you mentioned that he takes time to throw. Um, he he likes to hold the ball, but there were plenty of situations where Georgia just could not get any pressure on him. The, the Alabama offensive line was able to give him enough time to make plays, let plays develop, right. let the routes develop downfield so that he could hit on those big plays when they needed to. 
uh, especially on those key third downs, you know, like the Isaiah Bond one that, you know, you could argue wasn't the catch right before the half. But sure. Um, I was just so impressed with Alabama's offensive line. Uh, and then as even their defensive line, they just they really dominated Georgia in the trenches. And against a team like Georgia, uh, I mean, that was just that gave me a lot of confidence that they're going to be able to handle, uh, you know, Michigan's uh, defensive line. I think that they're going to be able to hold up well enough um, against Michigan's pass rush that, um, you know, that that game just gave me gave me the enough confidence. And so, right, there's that aspect to it. Um, and then I, I they, they have struggled defensively to to stop the run but again they they looked the d-line looked really strong against georgia and i think that you know with enough time to prepare i think that they have and with how well their secondary has been playing down the stretch Mm. i i I just i think that they're going to be able to do enough to stack the box and maybe win with numbers that they can and they can trust their secondary to say you might have to just be matched up one-on-one and no no help over the top but they i think they like that matchup against michigan's wideouts and you know trusting that you know hey let's make jj mccarthy beat us let's make their weapon let's make them try and get separation on our elite corners and Mm -hmm. uh even even their safeties so uh yeah i i just i like the matchups and um yeah and i I've picked against Michigan all year and they keep proving wrong similarly to Michigan to Washington, but it's just some of those minor, those minor details that I, I just like the way that Alabama matches up against Michigan. I right. think that they have more advantages. Um, so yeah, I, I like Alabama and, and there's a little bit of the, the Nick Saban aspect. I, I trust Nick Saban, oh, yeah. give him, give him all this, give him all this time to prepare. I, I trust that he's going to have a good game plan to stop that Michigan rush rushing attack. And um, yeah, cause, cause that's the thing too, is um, it's it, the, the Penn state game still throws me for a loop. The fact that Michigan was able to run the ball the way they did. I mean, on, on paper, Penn State's rush defense is just unbelievable. Right. And Michigan made them look so mediocre. They were just, they ran it at will. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. thought, going into that game, I thought, all right, there's no way Michigan's going to be able to do it, you know, just run the ball every time against them and win. They're going to have to force, McCarthy's going to be forced to throw. And right. he didn't attempt a single pass that second half. They just ran it every play <laughs> and they ran it down their throats. And I thought, wow. I mean, if Penn State can't stop them, who can? Right. But I think that with enough time to prepare, I trust and and just the talent on that uh, the Alabama defense and how good their secondary is. Mm-hmm. The fact that I think they're going to be able to do whatever it takes to stop the run and trust. All right, our secondary is so good that we're not even scared about McCarthy beating us or play action going over the top. They're not worried about that at all. So you know maybe the opportunities will be there and McCarthy will have to step up and make a big play, but. Um, I, I just, I, I like the way Alabama's defense has been playing that and um, I, I, I trust the pass defense and I love the way Dallas Turner has been playing. Uh, right. I think he's gonna be able to get pressure, uh, on McCarthy and I think that they're going to just, I, I just, I like the defense. So yeah, oh. and I like the way Miller has been playing. I think that it's just a, a wrinkle that's thrown in there that Michigan's not going to have seen all season that I think worries me a little bit for the Michigan defense. So, right. Um, yeah, just 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 for those things, I I lean Alabama. 
Yeah, no, in your defense, like I I totally and I think a lot of other people will see the merit of yeah, uh, Bama's got a, a, a all things considered a better matchup. And on top of that, you got Nick Saban who's got plenty of time to devise a game plan to go just wax the floor with Michigan. You know, you could make the argument that in these types of situations, there's nobody you'd rather have on your sideline than Nick Saban. Who's who's seen it all? He's done it all. He's got the rings to prove it, and he's got the recruits to prove it as well. Who have bought into his program, and whom you know. If I keep saying Harbaugh's great at developing, well, so is Saban. Saban has developed so many stars, and he, he he's got all those statues and trophies in his locker room to prove it. Uh, I guess for mm-hmm. me, when I thought when I kept thinking about this matchup, I just kept thinking back to. Uh, this isn't the Alabama defensive line of old where they had uh, these behemoths in the middle that are just immovable objects and Michigan was not going to be able to punch holes in that defense. I think Michigan's offensive line, even without Zinter, is incredibly talented and they're going to be able to uh, chunk, get some chunk plays going for maybe four or five yards a pop which is going to take some of the pressure off of McCarthy. I don't think it's going to be like that all game. I think there's going to be situations where McCarthy is actually going to have to go out and make a big play. And so that's going to be the key right there. Can McCarthy go out and do it? But on the flip side, I think I think Milrow can be Alabama's greatest asset, but I also think he can be their greatest their their big one of their biggest weaknesses. I think Milrow can go out and make a mistake that maybe a past Bama quarterback wouldn't have just because he has a knack for holding onto the ball. He has a knack for trying to make something happen, maybe where there isn't something to be had. And I think against this Michigan defense that has proved all year, maybe, yeah, against less lesser offensive talent, but they will make you pay. If you put the ball into a spot that you into a tight window, we saw it against Kyle McCord in that Ohio State game to seal the win numerous times, especially the pick that set the tone early on in the game. But the the defense is full of savvy veterans who have seen a lot of different plays and a lot of different concepts. And, you know, that they're going to be they're going to be well coached on that end to their credit as well. And I just think. If you're talking about a defense to put a ton of pressure on Milrow or maybe have a game plan designed around stopping Milrow, putting him in uncomfortable situations, maybe forcing a couple of turnovers against him, I think Michigan's defense is right up there. So those were kind of my thoughts. And, And as a result, if Michigan's defense is able to get a couple of turnovers and put Bama maybe on their heels, that takes some of the pressure off of McCarthy and the Bama offense in that, hey, Let's just go get a couple of first downs here, melt some clock, and just get to get together a – and I think McCarthy, to his credit, we talk about his weaknesses plenty. I think to his credit, he is able to pick his spots and is able to do do pretty well all season. You know, I mentioned that pickable, that uh, well-thrown ball rate, 80.8% for the sophomore. Not bad. Um, and his, I think the running game for Michigan is going to play a big factor as well. And I, I think Bama's going to have a hard time stopping it. So I think if Michigan is able to, all th- all that being said, if Michigan is able to run the ball effectively on first and second down, 
set up McCarthy in favorable positions to control the clock. I think Milrow and Bama on offense are going to have a hard time getting massive chunk plays against Michigan. They're going to have to work for it. So very fine margins. I think it's going to be a very close game either way. I just think Michigan, they have some favorable matchups too that might lead to the win here. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I, yeah, I keep going, keep looking back at that, uh, how efficient J.J. McCarthy is on third downs. Um, number right. one in the country in QBR on third down. And, you know, in the Ohio State game, you know, anytime uh, they needed a play, he he made it. He made it, and he made some really impressive throws that I think very few quarterbacks in the country could have made the throws that he made to keep that game and to keep the drives alive in that game. And uh, he made them. So, you know, I've, I've doubted him a lot this season, but he keeps proving me wrong, much like the Michigan team. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't say I doubt the Michigan team. I did pick Ohio State to beat them, though. Um, but yeah, ma- mainly J.J. McCarthy. He's been the biggest reason why I've doubted them in these situations. And like I said, he's he's been proving me wrong and making plenty of big throws. But um, yeah, so I, I definitely... That's definitely the biggest hesitation for me mm-hmm. is uh, the fact that I think the weak point for Michigan, he keeps proving me wrong and he keeps making the big plays. But um, yeah, like like I said, it's just the Alabama secondary and just the way that they won the trenches against Georgia that have given me a lot of confidence uh, in that, you know, pair that with Nick Saban's history. Um, I like where the team is at and I, I like the talent that they have that um, that just yeah gives uh gives alabama the edge for me but yeah yeah uh, definitely a close game and the the game i'm most excited for between the two matchups uh i think this is just this has just such potential to be an all-time classic you know right the, the narratives leading up to this um you know all the scandals for michigan uh what's jim harbaugh gonna do um you know he's been suspended throughout the season and then alabama going from the loss to texas the 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 struggle against South Florida teams, people writing them off so early in the season. Um, you know, I, I, this is just, uh, this has such potential for being an all-time classic and, and being at the Rose Bowl too. Uh, the pageantry is going to be incredible. M- must right. watch, must see game for sure. Must see indeed. And um, I'm just looking very much forward to it. So, well, Garrett, is that all you got? I think that that might be everything. That's it. Yeah, that's all I got. Well, ladies and gentlemen, again, Merry Christmas to each and every one of you. That is going to do it for this episode of Game Time with Garrison and Garrett. Uh, this You can find us, as always, on social media, Facebook and Twitter. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on iTunes, on Amazon, on Google, on Spotify. You name it, you can find us there. Please leave us that five-star review as that helps the algorithm and share the show with uh, you and yours this Christmas season and we look forward to talking about the championship game when all that's decided uh Garrett and I may take next week off so stay tuned but uh for Garrett Thigpen I'm Garrison Hardy thanks for tuning in Lord bless and Merry Christmas